Every year they make changes, um, but we're gonna get a, a new bike in middle of the season, which they are testing now, which they are testing already over a year. Hey, podcast listener, you're listening to the Semi Pro Cycling Podcast, the weekly podcast where we discuss all the issues that cyclists talk about. Whether you're out training, commuting, or just riding around, sit down and listen in, because we're about to begin. I got something to say, man. Yo, welcome to episode 94 of the Semi-Pro Cycling Podcast, where we believe that only a semi-pro cyclist rides for love and not money. If you stick around to the end, I'll fill you in on the quote from the top of the show and let you know who's talking new bikes. Hey there, semi-pros. My name is Damien Roos. I'm the founder of Semi-Pro Cycling, home of the Semi-Pro Cyclist, and you can find this episode at semiprocycling.com forward slash develop and again to get us underway today a review five stars love it by doris loves hills from australia i wouldn't consider myself a semi-pro but i do participate in the occasional race vrs track and or just having fun out on the bike on a social ride love this podcast interesting fun great guest interviews and lots to learn can definitely relate to a lot of the topics let's keep facing the demons and keep spinning absolutely let's keep facing those demons nothing like a truth meter or a hit in the face when it comes to getting your shit sorted and your cycling better but a reminder to you that if you do like the show i would love a review on itunes or stitcher because five stars makes me sing Thank you very much. Now, a couple of great articles that I have come across this week. The first one, Optimal Cycling Time Trial Position Models, Aerodynamics versus Power Output and Metabolic Energy. The other day, I was watching a video by John Cobb. I don't know if you know this guy, but he is a bit of an aerodynamics guru, more in probably the triathlon world than cycling. But either way, he is an interesting bloke with some interesting products, namely his seats. But I'm not going to go into that. I was checking out a video that he was fitting somebody in a time trial position onto a road bike. And because of their phenomenal flexibility, he was able to put them in a position that was comparable to probably Cadell's. And if you don't know Cadell's position on the road bike, just imagine the bars well below the head tube. And that's pretty much where he sits when he's down and his back is absolutely perfectly flat. I was reminded of this when I was reading this study because really when it comes to a time trial position or any position for that matter, the body's physical limitations in relation to the length and load of the event that you're participating in are the key factors when determining what position you can ride in and where you're best going to get the power generated for the aerodynamic compromise that you're making. So it's really interesting that this study was published in April of 2014 and it focused on the influence of the torso angle on drag and ultimately because of that performance. It states in the abstract, the aerodynamic drag of a cyclist in time trial position is strongly influenced by the torso angle. While decreasing the torso angle reduces the drag, it limits the physiological functioning of the cyclist. So the aim of the study was to predict the optimal time trial cycling position as a function of the cycling speed and to determine at which speed the aerodynamic power losses start to dominate. They used two models to go through and 
figure this out. The first one is a metabolic energy model, and the second one is a power output model. So the metabolic energy model minimized the requirement cycling energy expenditure, and this is probably measured in kilojoules, while the power output model maximized the cyclist's power output. Yes, in watts. So the study itself was 19 cyclists doing time trials at different torso angle positions from 0 to 24 degrees. And the results, the results showed that for both models, the optimal torso angle depends strongly on the cycling speed with decreasing torso angles at increasing speeds. So the aerodynamic losses outweigh the power losses at cycling speeds above 46 kilometers an hour. However, a fully horizontal torso is not optimal for speeds below 30 kilometers an hour. In that case, they're saying it's beneficial to ride in a more upright time trial position. For me, the biggest takeaway from this study is that the error positioning becomes important after 46 kilometers an hour, 28.6 miles per hour. So Tony Martin gets a lot from an aggressive position. In his win last year at the World Championships, he averaged over 52 kilometers an hour, 32 miles an hour. But in terms of something like breaking the magic amateur hour mark of a 40-kilometer time trial, maybe position isn't as important as it is commonly thought. So depending on the course, you may ride above 46 kilometers at some point during a 40-kilometer time trial, but This might be on a downhill or you might have a tailwind or something that isn't sustainable because you can't get the power out anyway. So basically, it still reinforces, in my mind, the thought that semi-pros on the road should optimize for power output over aerodynamics. And if you're riding shorter events like prologues or short time trials, maybe you want to start looking at aerodynamics. But again, make sure that you're able to put the watts out when it counts. Because if you don't work on mobility and time in that position while you're under load, then you're just kidding yourself when it comes to squeezing yourself into that position when you're in a race. So Article 2 is an article from innerring.com. If you are familiar with pro cycling, you will be familiar with innerring. Very, very insightful. And this article popped up recently and it is about training, which we rarely get an insight from this guy into training. So an article on pro training to be specific and how little we actually know about it. It discusses a more strategic approach to training versus racing, which is not much use to us. But the real gold bits are the pieces of pro workouts that appear in the article and then in the comments, which there really isn't a lot of this stuff divulged anywhere, including this article. But this article keeps you satisfied for the time being, because if you are anything like me, you love any little hint at some inside knowledge of what the pros are doing. Alrighty then, the nuts and bolts this week, the five phases of semi-pro cyclist development. Short-term thinking can harm your potential as a cyclist. That's a big first statement to make. But if you want to improve as much as possible, then you have to allow yourself to think big and to plan each phase in your development. If you don't, then you really risk the 
chance at building year on year and upgrading your fitness so you can get better and better. But that's only half the story because there are tactics and skills involved as well. And you have to look at this holistically if you're really serious about developing yourself over a longer period of time. There is also a part to this which is forming habits and that also becomes really important in the change in your life because getting on a bike itself is more about just riding the bike. It's about making lifelong changes so you can be the most optimized human being that you can be. And in the semi-pro world, this does involve things outside of cycling. It does involve work, school, family, whatever else. But you can start as a junior, and that is the ideal place to start, but not everybody starts cycling when they are super young. So I kind of came across this topic because this week I was doing a little bit of research into junior cyclist development and specifically coaching and the transfer from junior to senior. In so many ways, it seemed to me that semi-pros are closer to juniors and elite junior athletes than they are to pros in their life makeup, in their training makeup, in the hours that they have to train. Definitely the demands of juggling sport and life are very real for junior athletes, especially elite ones competing at national or international level because they are forced to go to school and do all these other things. And before you dismiss me saying that they have it tough, I definitely understand the demands within a teenager's life are extremely different to those of a population outside of those age brackets. But the requirement for attendance at schooling and other extracurricular events makes it really hard to balance out training while you are being ultra competitive. The other side of this is that the development for juniors is a different game altogether. Because when you have someone that starts outside of this junior framework, which is anywhere from, say, eight, nine, up until 17, 18, all the way through to probably 25 is the cutoff that I think about a junior or a developing cyclist for high performance or maximizing their potential compared to the highest level of competition that's around. Without knowing where you are on your cycling journey, I've tried to branch out and use some of the ideas that go into developing a junior cyclist and applying that to a broader range of cyclists for anyone that kind of picks up the sport later on in life. There's a great athlete development model from the Canadian Cycling Association, and it's called Long-Term Athlete Development Model. And it goes through the phases and recommendations for each, each one. So that's what I'm drawing on here. And primarily for anyone that isn't a junior, anyone that's coming back from time off, or anyone that is starting fresh. And kind of like I was touching on, there is a commonality with juniors that that is really hard to lock down when you're making the comparison to anyone outside of these ages or physical development stages that riders in their teens and 20s experience. But I'm going to have a crack at it. And I'm saying up front that the goal here is for you to think about your long-term development. Put it at the forefront of your mind when you're planning any type of training or long-term goals that you're putting down. It often gets lost in the latest training tactics and tips. And because everyone overestimates what they can do in the short term and underestimates what they can do in the long term, a bit of long-term thinking can go a long way. No pun intended. So the actual model that we're working with is based on concepts of training age, appropriate athlete development. 
on the premise that participants will not only be more successful in sport, but healthier throughout life if they develop physical literacy at an early training age. The development of sound physical literacy skills followed by ongoing learning and training introduced during optimal windows of trainability keyed into developmental ages and stages is necessary for any athlete to reach his or her full potential. Missing any of these steps or phases makes it more difficult to reach that potential, as is the case with any periodization training plan. If you try and get ahead, then you will definitely fall behind. I think I stole that from somewhere. Sorry, Chris. There are some guidelines that I kind of want to go over first before we dig into the phases, though. And these guidelines, they're adapted from the original model for semi-pros. The first one is the 10-year rule, and research has concluded that it takes a minimum of 10 years and 10,000 hours of training in a structured and deliberate manner for a talented athlete to reach elite levels. There are no shortcuts. That's directly from the actual document itself. And while I pretty much agree with this statement for elite performance, for any cyclist that picks up the sport later on in life, think of it more like a three- to five-year framework to get to your potential Really, the first three years are kind of based around building your engine. Your aerobic ceiling can top out at around three years on average, while afterwards you're focusing on developing other strengths and areas such as tactics and any skills related directly to your event that you choose to focus on by then. The second one here is specialization, and it's where you start with broad-based skills and abilities Once you develop those, then you move into some type of specialization. And like I've spoken about in the past, when it comes to your numbers, when you're first starting out, they may be very different from what happens later on after you have had some experience racing and training. And then they may shape the specialization that you choose, as well as the sweet spot of what you really enjoy. The third out of fourth one here is the physical, cognitive, mental and emotional development Depending on where you do start, you may have some of these already and a lot of successful people and a lot of people that are really hungry and motivated to get somewhere with their cycling can rapidly have this personal development that goes along with being a better cyclist. There definitely needs to be focus on certain areas and weaknesses to develop these and they need to be developed in parallel to any physical or specific skills that you develop. Otherwise, it's kind of a waste of time when you're this super fit dude. But like I've always said, that the gateway is the mind. So if you're neglecting that, then you're going to be a mess and you won't hit the goals that you want to hit. The final one is periodization. And periodization is the organization of training by manipulating modality, volume, intensity, and frequency over the long term. So this is thinking more than one year, so multi-year and annual timeframes. It's big, big picture thinking. And it's using training, competition, and recovery periods all in this and putting together not just the annual training plan, but a multi-year plan. So that's the guiding principles, but let's get into the nitty-gritty, the actual phases themselves. And what I've got here is a pathway through five key phases experienced by any later stage athlete. And I think that the value here is identifying the stage that you're in, and if what you're doing matches my recommendations, and if not, look at tweaking your writing and optimizing your development at each phase, especially if you've jumped ahead a little bit, because 
there might be consequences to that that you're not even thinking about. But I want to preference this by recommending if you are brand new to the sport, a good fundamentals or introduction to racing group is a really, really solid use of your time. There's things that a hands-on course will teach you that you'll use right through your cycling journey. And for me, I can speak from experience. I was lucky enough to be guided and mentored from the very beginning of my cycling journey. And these lessons... And friends are still with me today. So I'm really passionate about anybody getting out there and learning the basics because I think they're so important in moving on. And once your brain's not thinking about the basics, that's when you can add new things on top. And that's when you really make the gains. So the options for these are clubs, which have really, really great starter programs and will welcome you with open arms. But there's also private skills groups and coaches out there that you can go along to and they'll teach you and take you in and may even have a training bunch that you can join so you can cement the skills that you learn over time. But have a hunt around because if you find something, you will definitely not be wasting your time. So phase number one and training to train, building the engine. The key objective here is physical and skill development. So this is after the fundamental stuff and this is after you've figured out that you can ride in a bunch, you're confident, you're happy, you want to move on. You're learning what the next stage of your development is and it's training to train. So it's getting the engine that you need to be a better cyclist physiologically and then you add some fundamental movement skills to that and that's not skills to do with how to ride in a bunch and stuff that's skills in how to ride your bike properly skills themselves that don't just happen because a lot of it isn't intuitive you think that when you have been riding for a long time because you just forget about what it was like to stand up and sprint and learn how to actually do these things or stand while climbing or how to keep your heels down in important times or any little things like this. They are the fundamental movement skills that make all the difference in efficiency as you move forward. So the focus here really is building a solid aerobic base in which you're able to move on to higher intensities afterwards. It doesn't mean here that you can't do any higher intensity stuff. It just means that your focus should be building your endurance because this is the thing that's going to sustain you over your entire cycling journey. It's also the time where you're starting to be introduced to racing and the rules and the tactics and the ethics that go behind actually competing which is all very important and it makes the world of difference when you have someone guiding you through this process. There are also technical skills that are involved with this. So you're developing advanced technical skills. You're introduced to group writing at a higher level than just the basics that I was talking about in fundamentals. You're starting to think about writing in a group, drafting, pacing. You're thinking about being comfortable just sitting on a wheel and not being able to see exactly what's in front of you. All those basics that you kind of pick up and that you really need to know if you're going to be in a bunch a lot. So like I was touching on at the start, it's not just about the cycling. There are so many other elements that have to be developed at the same time and we're talking cultural and lifestyle habits here so the people you hang out with the actual lifestyle habits of drinking and eating nutrition hydration recovery regeneration and also tapering and peaking you're starting to understand these concepts a lot more and then how they interrelated and how you're going to get the most out of yourself when you're not on the bike 
So recommendations at this phase kind of move through for six to 12 hours of training per week, which that sounds like a lot, but it's not really once you add a long ride or two on the weekend. Then during the week, you're doing a few hours here and there. You can do three to seven sessions, but you're wanting to max out for your longest ride at about three and a half hours in this session. You don't want to overdo it, but you can race There is no problem racing because this is where you're going to start to build things, but it's more of a compete kind of race and you're figuring out how the training that you do matches the racing that you're doing. And here's also where you would start to experiment with different disciplines. So I would think about three disciplines as your maximum. Anything more than that may be too confusing or too costly because you need a bike for every discipline, but it's really about experimenting at this stage and just hacking your way through it. So if that means riding a mountain bike in cross, so be it. And if that means riding a cyclocross bike in a road race, then so be it. As for how long this phase should last, really it's going to depend on how rapidly you can pick these things up. But of course, it really fundamentally for physiological adaption relies on how quickly you can pick up your aerobic base. And this is ever developing over the the entire time. So it's more how quickly can you build a base that means you're competitive in the distance that you're racing. And that is a gray area that I'm not going to touch because it falls into the classic line of it depends. You can sort of think about one or two seasons to get sort of up to speed here. You know, generally you can include the first season as not even racing or just dabbling in a three race club pass or whatever it means as an introduction to racing, then you start to get serious in your second year. Phase two is learning to compete when you're entering competition for the sake of competing. So you're really starting to optimize things now. You're starting to optimize your physiological ability and you're starting to think more about what is involved in the competition itself and how you can actually get the best out of yourself in those competitions. The main objective here is really optimize fitness preparation and cycling event specific skills and performance where your training now starts to include advanced sport specific drills. So things that are very specific. If it's a crit, then you're practicing some sprinting. And if it's cyclocross, then you're practicing running up a hill. So it's using elements that you'd be using in your competition. It's also the time when you start to think about training outside of cycling. So you can start to think about any specific core work for strength and stability, ankle and knee stability, adding free weights to the mix, as well as building up from free weights and potentially to develop speed and power, you're adding plyometrics into the mix as well. And because this is really, really focused on getting the most out of yourself when you're starting to compete, you can really start honing down your training and splitting it into specific periods and try and taper for different races. You really just want to have one main competition you're aiming for, whether you do have one or two peaks or whatever it is, but you don't want to have too many disciplines here. You can compete in other ones, but you want to have one main focus to see if you can actually do well in that. As far as maxing out, this is when it does start to get serious. It starts to get a lot more serious here from 10 to 4 14 hours a week. And you may be thinking that is a lot to train if you don't have the time to do that. Very early on, you realize that you have to spend this time training, especially when you want to develop your aerobic engine. Phase three is train to compete to the front of the pack. So this is, again, you're still optimizing the engine, but you're really getting advanced when you come to the specific drills you're doing and really trying to optimize your aerobic ability. So you're actually aiming here now to start stacking things on top 
of the skills and physical element. So you're talking about the mental side of things where you're looking at decision-making and refining mental preparation, distraction management, and also social psychology and team dynamics come into it. So all these other things start getting thrown into the mix. And that combines with the new tactical skills that you start to develop as well. So you're starting to optimize competition skills and you're testing out various strategies in competition to see how you go and how your body reacts to these different strategies that you're trying out. And if you develop team and event tactics and select competitions for development purposes, you're really starting to build a portfolio here of races that you do well in and tactics that you use to be successful in. And you may not hit it all the time, but you're starting to now play around with these and eliminate them more than anything so that you can focus and double down on what is going to actually get you the best results. And by now, you really have mastered techniques like cornering, single track, group riding, drafting, pacing, the advanced techniques that at any established racing level should be ingrained into everybody that's there. So you should have an understanding of all of these, a deep understanding, and be confident in your ability to pull these out at any time. Racing and training really steps up here. So you're talking 11 to 17 hours a week which you're maxing out at five-hour rides. So you're doing long five-hour rides and you could compete up to 50 events a year. So it starts to get really heavy on competition here because that's what you're really trying to optimize for, the performance itself. This would be, I would say, in seasons three or four. And possibly for some people, for some semi-pros, the limits imposed by your life start to make it hard at this level because 17 hours of training in a week In some cases, it's actually a lot of training if you've got other things going on. And my recommendation here is that as soon as you hit this upper limit of your time, start focusing on other things, other things that you can develop that may get you the win. Because if you start doubling down on certain aspects of your fitness, plus tactics and skills development, you become the Simon Gerrans of your category because... It becomes about winning bike races by being a little bit cheeky or having a red hot go when you know that you're undercooked compared to the competition, but you can make up for that with confidence, preparation, and skills that can get you across the line first. So phase four here is when we're really getting serious, and these are the semi-pros that are committing at pretty close to the top of their level. And it's where you're learning to win and you want to cross the line first. So you might be really prioritizing winning here in a higher grade or category. So it becomes really, really important to think about maximizing your engine, your speed, your power. You're developing everything from your specific sprint training and trying to get to your maximum power. Your strength is still focused on core strength and stability, but you're upping the free weights that you need to do every single time you get into the gym. But developing sport-specific strength and maximal power means that you have your warm-up and cool-down nailed. They're part of your pre-training and post-training routines. You are working on anaerobic power and aerobic power pre-season to maintain it during the season. So a lot of factors start coming into this and it's really starting to dominate all of your life. It's not just a segmented part of your year anymore. You have to think about it all year round and pretty much 24 hours a day. 
because all of your focus is going into your target events. You are targeting specific events that you really want to do well in. And so you have to refine your tactics. You have to optimize your competition skills. Continue to test out strategies, but the strategies are getting more and more detailed. Also, you're thinking about team tactics and integration into technical and tactical elements and really getting to understand further and further the rules surrounding the event that you've chosen. Another important element here is while this is all happening, you need to start thinking about how these fit into your other life goals. Are you just concentrating on one side of your life, which is cycling and neglecting all the rest and not realizing the relationship they have between each other? Because if you want to keep moving on the other side, you can't neglect your job or your family. You need to have some compromise on some level. So this is very important to think about how they work into your cycling and then you need to talk to them and negotiate and work out the best fit for everybody because when we're stepping it up here we're talking about 15 to 22 hours of work per week and that starts to get really really serious your sessions and maximum rides can go out to six hours and the training and the racing itself you could do up to 60 events in one year so that's 5 to 14 races a month which is a lot of time away from your normal life. But this doesn't happen until you've been doing a steady four or five years of training. It's not until this point that you've developed everything that goes along with competing at a very high level. And this high level may not be international, but you start touching on domestic or even national level events if they are masters or category events it will take four or five seasons to be ultra competitive and consistent across all of these events and phase five the final phase when you have been super serious for some time but now you're training to win because you want to stay in front so hopefully you've had some, some success in phase four and it means now that you have the formula. You've figured out what works for you and all of your N equals one experiments are all done and now it's just a matter of getting the work done. Definitely a big part of this is once the thrill of the first taste of success dies down, you might need to consider what your motivation is. You might need to shift it and make a reassessment on your why here. Sometimes it may take a new type of event or it may take doing a different discipline altogether. But whatever the tactic you use here, it is all about the motivation. And sometimes tactics don't even work. It is all about the motivation because it has to remain high or you will slip away. There is nothing wrong with slipping away if you want to, but you need to get to the bottom of your motivation, reassess those goals, move them more and more in front of you if you want to keep going. We're talking about people that at the top of their game here, whatever their game may be, and so it becomes really, really fundamental to your continued success that you have new motivation and that may be race to race or season to season. It may be a big goal that you set yourself or just small ones along the way. Pretty much here, if you're talking about being an upper echelon semi-pro, you're on the verge of being pro. 16 to 30 hours per week is the training load that's recommended here, which is absolutely massive. So you're really shifting into part-time job material, no family, it becomes quite difficult at this level to get where you want to be unless you can commit these hours, which means time on the bike and time off the bike is just as important. 
So that's it. And what I want to round up with is don't be scared off by this because yes, it is big and it seems like it's really far away, but we all know that time ticks on and things happen before we even know it. So why not plan for it? Why not put something in place? Even if you know that you'll be capped at a certain phase, why not get to that phase in the quickest way and in the best shape possible so you have a chance at a bit of early glory to kind of keep you going and keep you motivated and you can reset goals. And maybe it does take moving around from discipline to discipline once you hit a certain ceiling, but there's nothing wrong with that because overall, if you want to maintain this type of training and lifestyle for a long time, it takes the readjustment every single year to kind of think about it, but it also takes planning like this so you don't fall off and just disappear. Whether you do after all of this take a step back and don't train at the same level, it could be still possible with shorter events to maintain some of this over, say, a summer crit season or a cyclocross season. These shorter events really allow us to be competitive without putting in the big hours that racing at any one, two category or A plus grade or whatever it is, that is where you really need to dedicate a lot to it but it's not to say that you can't step back at a certain time and just still continue to be the best that you can be at whatever phase you are at and there is absolutely nothing wrong with having some fun and just wanting to be fit. Okay, the tech hacks and products section, pponline.co.uk. It's an information resource. It's a paid resource for finding endurance, science-based articles and studies. They have a paid newsletter with updates, which is a good way of getting more information in your life if you feel like it's lacking. But their blog is pretty solid as well. If you have spare time and you want to do some more reading on training, I definitely recommend it. It doesn't cost a thing to go to the blog, but check out their resource. It could be handy for you if you just want to keep diving into the nitty-gritty of any science research that's that pops up every single month. Now, that quote from the top of the show, it's Andy Schleck, the praying mantis, talking about his new bike, which is going to be delivered at the Tour de France this year. But will a new bike help him? I really think that I might have spoken too soon when I said he'll be back one day because he just can't seem to get it together, which makes me think, is there something going on behind the scenes? I won't say that we are the best team out there in terms of the material, clothing, everything, Um, also the riders. Hmm. Now, now, Andy, no need to go blaming others. And that's it. You have been listening to the Semi-Pro Cycling Performance Podcast. And remember to head over to semiprocycling.com forward slash develop to find any links used in this week's episode. From there, you can sign up for the free Wheelhouse Masterclass, Building the Base, a step-by-step system for achieving your cycling goals. So until next week, get on your bike and enjoy the pain cave or the hurt box, whichever one you're into. (laughs) 